be another voice just uh, thanking all of our veterans. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your faithfulness to our country. You know, um, when my family first moved into our home, there is this grumpy old man across the street that uh, would affectionately become known as Old Man Leo. Old Man Leo stormed Normandy and uh, was gravely injured during that battle. And he would sit on his porch and just watch the neighborhood. But after years of getting to know Old Man Leo and hearing his stories, I don't think that you be... Because you're a veteran, when you come back, I don't think you can watch just to observe anymore. I think you watch to protect. And I quickly came to appreciate old man Leo and what he provided for my family right across the street. And I always told my boys, if you ever need anything, if I'm not here, you go to old man Leo. It was a a wonderful opportunity. I was able to uh, also pray with old man Leo to accept Jesus. Uh, so old man Leo's in heaven now celebrating Veterans Day in a whole whole new space. He's been up there for years, but uh, every Veterans Day I remember him. So for those of you who can no longer watch life go by and just observe because of what you've experienced, I again want to thank you just for not only how you've served back then, but how you continue to serve today. Um, for those of you who have been with us, This is my awkward transition. For those of you who have been with us, you know that we're getting to the end of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, and I've really enjoyed this this series because I think there's a lot that you share in common with the church of the Ephesians. The church of Ephesus, we're a great church, had a powerful history where they saw God work in their formation and early on in their ministry. They have a powerful history, and so do you. The church of Ephesus was filled with great people who loved Jesus and who wanted to see God do a work in their culture, and so were you. But the church of Ephesus, amidst all the drama and kookiness of their culture, could oftentimes find themselves forgetting their Christian identity. And my question is, or my concern is, so can you. So Paul wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to the Christians back then, and I believe this letter still has power for you today. The first three chapters, Paul focused to help us understand who, are, who we are as Christ, as Christians. What is our Christian identity? The first three chapters were to make sure you understood that you are a saint. You're an instrument of God plucked out of this culture redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then put back in the culture to be a transformation power within it and a reflection of God's glory. And make no mistake, you didn't earn this position. You didn't achieve this position. You didn't purchase this position. It was given to you by Christ Jesus. All you've done is receive it. The first three chapters is to make sure that you know who you are. But the last three chapters, starting in chapter 4, Paul wanted to shift gears and help us understand. So if we are saints, supposed to be a reflection of Christ in this dark and kooky culture, what does that look like? How do we do it? 
And he began it in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let me just uh, recap a little bit with you. Chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul shifted gears because of who you are. Because you are a saint, because you have been redeposited back in Kooky, California to be a reflection of his glory. Because of that, look what he says, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you, I'm begging you on on my knees, like, please, please, walk in a manner, live in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And here's how he describes it, with all humility Gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. In the first area, he said, you need to, as you're walking differently, there's four institutions, there's four aspects of our life that it truly needs to be truly reflective of. And the first is the church. After he's begging you, please walk in this manner where it's not about you. Or it's not about your rights. It's not about your authority. It's not what you deserve. It's what's best for everyone else. The first place, Paul says, that ought to be witness is in the church. The church is not an authoritative place. The church isn't about one person. The church is a body of Christ where we all come together to be grown in the image of Jesus. Look at how he described it, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. He said this, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. In love. Paul says the first aspect where your sainthood ought to be visible and developing something that is different from everywhere else. Everywhere else in culture divides based on skin color, language, economic background, Chino Hills, Chino, Pomona, Diamond Bar. Paul says, not you. Not you. This is the kingdom of God. And we summarize the church this way in verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21. It says this, Paul says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Submit to one another. Willingly choose to place yourself under the responsibility of everybody else. Willingly choose to put yourself underneath and allow them to serve you, protect you, guide you, Willingly choose to submit yourself under the responsibility of everybody else. And then Paul went into marriage, right? Almost right out of that. In fact, right out of that. And he goes in, he starts talking to wives, reminding them that submission to one another should be present in your marriage. The same way you submit to one another, willingly aligning yourself underneath the responsibility of another, so wives to your husbands. But then Paul really brought it for the fellas. Verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Men, husbands, if we want marriages to be different, If we want Christian marriages to be different from their marriages, 
Fellas, you need to love your wife differently than everybody else. But then Paul moved on. There's two other institutions where your sainthood, where you being an, an instrument of God at work in culture, two other institutions that ought to be blatantly evident. One is the church. Second is your marriage. Third is your family. And fourth is your workplace. We're going to handle the third and fourth today. Paul's like, listen, if you want to know what it looks like to reflect Christ in a kooky culture, you need to revitalize your family. Do family different. That's we're going to pick up our, our letter, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Paul says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Let's hit pause there for a minute. Paul directly, and this, I got to tell you, this is shocking because Paul is writing a letter to the church as if the kids are present. Do you see that? He's not writing, hey, moms, don't forget when you're tucking in your bed, pass this truth of God on to your kids. No, no, no. Paul's assumption and expectation is that kids are present for this word. In the early church, most people believed that kids were present. When it came time for the word to be brought. Paul, not only assuming that, but expecting that, goes directly to kids. And I got to tell you, this is why as a church, for the last couple of years, we've been encouraging you and inviting you. Please bring your kids. Statistics show that if your kid grows up with you, worshiping God with you, hearing the word of God with you, he is more, or she, is more likely to hold on to their faith into adulthood. Not only that, a kid who goes to church with you and your peers, who comes and and enjoys corporate worship with all of us, in their head, it's not just their parents' church or their grandparents' church or their neighbor's church, it's their church. So statistics tell us if your children are here in church, there's something that God does in their soul and they're together with all of us, worshiping the Lord and hearing and being encouraged in the truth of his word. So to help you and them out, we create these little packets. We meaning not me, me, we meaning Ken and his team. But in here, let me show you two things. These are always available as you enter. Inside, we have sermon notes. Sermon notes where the kids have some activities, some questions we're asking them to come up with to give us the main thoughts of the sermon. And then if they complete these, and turn them into the cafe, they get a free donut or drink. Depending on if you're in there, you might be able to talk them into giving you a free donut and drink. (laughs) By the way, these are for kids. (laughs) My second part, this is my favorite part, it's a sermon sucker. Sermon suckers are here to keep their mouths busy so their ears can hear. So when when it's worship time, don't put this in. When it's time for the word of God, pop this in there. All of a sudden their mouths get busy and their ears can listen to the word of God. These are available to you as an encouragement to bring your kids. Now, one question that I often get asked, well, who's Paul, who is Paul talking to? What makes a child? In Jewish circles, you were a child until 13. In Roman circles, you were a child until 14. 
In Greek circles, you're a child until 18. What about, what about our circles? What about our culture? Here's my definition of child. If you're living at home underneath the provision of your parents, this applies to you. If you're 45 living at home, depending on your parents, this applies to you. I'm not judging. I'm just clarifying. Right? When Paul is talking children, those of you who are living under the roof of your parents and dependent on them for your provision and your care, obey your parents in the Lord. That term obey term means to heed their direction, listen intently to their direction with a mind to accomplish it. Man, this isn't, a, this isn't a unique truth to Christians. Confucius taught this. Just about every culture has this understanding that children need to obey their parents. But here's the powerful truth about this term in Scripture. Obedience in the eyes of God isn't just hearing instruction and completing it. It's hearing instruction and completing it with a good attitude. When God says, obey your parents, listen, apply with a smile. That's what God's saying. Obey your parents and the Lord. Not only is God the empowerment of your ability to hold that, Brian, you, you don't understand how difficult my parents are. I do. I had them and I am one. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Alive within your heart, within your soul. Man, see, don't you wish your kids were here? (laughs) Obey your parents. Not only because God has empowered you, but you obey your parents just as you do to the Lord. Even during those times, you don't understand his rules. You still obey him. Even during those times where God's directions to you don't make sense in your own head, you obey him. Even those times you don't even agree with what God is saying, you obey them. In the same way, kids, obey your parents. Oh, they're so old-fashioned, I don't get them. That's okay. Obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obedience, having this ear to listen so you can apply it in your life with a smile and a good attitude. Verse 2, he says this, not just obedience, it says, honor your parents. The term honor means to show them respect and love, to care for them as long as they need it, to seek to bring honor to them by the way you live. Don't just obey. Honor. Seek to reflect them and honor them and lift them up and make them proud every day of your life. First thing Paul says, children, if you, you want to know what it's like to reflect Jesus in a kooky, broken culture, obey your parents. In a culture where people seem to educate and instruct you and empower you and encourage you to do the opposite of what your parents believe, you as a Christ-following child, obey your parents. Listen to their instruction Apply it to your life with a good attitude. Because of what God has empowered you to do and because of what that reflects about who you are to God to them. Now, parents, I want to just give you an encouragement. 
I think as Christian parents, we so much want our kids to choose faith and be baptized. And that's a great thing when they own their faith and they want to make a public declaration of faith. That's a powerful time. But listen, that should change things in your head. My oldest son, what I would tell him is before you choose Christ and get baptized, you obey me because that's what I said to do. Once you become a Christian, you obey your parents because that's what God said to do. Man, when your children accept Christ and they become a co-heir to the kingdom of God, folks, that changes things. Parents, we need to parent differently. To our kids who have chosen Christ and publicly proclaimed their faith, it is no longer do what I say because I said so. No, 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 no. It's here's direction for your life. Do it because God said so. You see the difference? Man, if we're Christian parents and we want to draw our children towards making a proclamation of faith, something's got to shift when they do. And that segues in the next part as Paul's talking about revitalizing your family. Man, you want to do family different? Kids, give your parents a break, huh? Obey them, even with the dumb stuff. Obey your parents because God has empowered you to do it and that's what God has called you to do. Then he goes to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul again goes directly to the men. Guys, I don't want you to quit coming to church. But again, this falls directly on you. Men, fathers, you want to do family different? You want to know what it looks like to reflect Christ in a broken, kooky culture? Fathers, you got to do your role different. In the Greek, in your Bible, it probably says do not provoke. In the Greek, it's that present active, meaning stop it. Stop provoking. Stop goading them towards resentment. Stop getting on them over every little thing. Stop getting on them to the point where they just give up and resent you or quit. Stop it. Now, Lepetra, I hear you saying amen. Fellas, step up. Let me give a little note. See, in this time when Paul was talking to fathers, the men had all the authority. The mom had no say. She had no right. In our culture, moms do have a say. Moms do have a right. So I would say, how do we apply this to us? Children, if you live under the roof of your home and are dependent on the financial support of your parents, obey. Ladies, If you're a mom with the freedom of expression and investment into your kids, I think this applies to you too. Parents, stop provoking your kids. Stop driving them like cattle. Stop pushing them to their limit. To that point of anger, he says. Anger means to be frustrated, overwhelmed, feeling incapable of pleasing you. Parents, you want to reflect Christ in your family. You want to revitalize your home. You need to do parenting different. Kids, you need to obey your parents. Parents, stop driving your kids. Stop provoking them. Stop just pouring it on and nitpicking every little thing. Can I share with you, that's one of the biggest struggles of my parenthood journey. Man, I got four boys and I can drive them hard, right? That's what you do. That's what my dad did to me. 
You work them hard, you put them back in the barn wet. Like that's what drains a good man. And I have seen countless times my kids' hearts just close before my eyes. Have you ever seen that? As you're driving and pushing your kids, you just suddenly start seeing their ears close and their hearts harden. Sure, they'd rather die than comply with what you're saying. Paul's like, listen, folks, your kids, especially those kids who have chosen Jesus, proclaim their faith in baptism. They're co-heir of the kingdom of God. You need to raise them differently. Parents, stop pushing them to the breaking point. Instead, right, big biblical but right there, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, start mentoring, start nourishing, start feeding, start walking alongside them as you train them and reflecting Jesus in their life. Do you see the dichotomy that Paul's setting up? Stop getting behind and just whipping them like they're a team of horses. And get down in the midst of them. Walk with them. Train them. Mentor them. Again, fellas, can I just say? If you're claiming to be a child of God and you have kids, this needs to be one of your top priorities along with excelling in your workplace, along with loving your wife as Christ loved the church, you also need to mentor your child. And look what it says. Mentor them in discipline and instruction. That term instruction doesn't mean lectures. Sit down, boy, let me teach you. That term instruction is this time of give and take. It's didactic instruction. Allow them to ask questions. Hey, Dad, I know you told me to take out the trash. Right away, it had to happen right now. I did it. Can I ask you, why is that so important to you? Hey, Dad, I know you don't want me to date until I'm 32. All right? Dad, can I ask you, why is that so important to you? What are you afraid of? Share your heart with me. Lead me through that. Paul's like, if you want to know what it looks like to walk as a reflection of Christ in a kooky culture, we need to gather differently than everyone else. We don't divide based on skin color or political party or economic background. No, no, no. We gather because we all need the salvation of Jesus Christ. We've all received his mercy, and we're here to give mercy to one another. Your marriage needs to be different. We're not fighting over control. We're not fighting over authority. There should be no wife married to a Christian man who does not feel protected, honored, loved, and sacrificed. Man, she should never question what Jesus did for her because she sees it from her husband every single day. There should be no rebellion from kids. When their parents give them direction, They're going to obey it and follow it because that's what God asked them to do. But parents, we're going to give direction differently because we know this is a co-heir of the kingdom of God. That God has entrusted us with one of his children, one of his sheep, 
and we need to shepherd them and guide them and train them in the same way that God has shepherded, guided, and trained us. There's a fourth area. Paul says we need to revitalize. Paul says, if you want to know what it looks like to reflect Christ in a Christian culture, we need to gather different. Our marriages need to be different. Our parenting, our families, our households need to be different. And our work. Our work needs to be different. Look what he says, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Again, the first one Paul addresses is the one with less rights. In marriage, he addresses the wife first. In parent and child, he addresses the child first. And in slave, master, employee, employer, he addresses them first. Historians believe that uh, 60,000 and up to one-third of the population of the Roman Empire workforce would be considered a slave, a servant, who is subdued and subjected to some form of labor, either by choice or by discipline. But roughly one-third of the Roman Empire workforce was based on people who didn't have any freedom in how they serve. And Paul addresses them immediately, and he says, Slaves, be obedient. Same word, by the way, used to describe kids. Be obedient. Listen with the intent of following through with what's asked with a good attitude. When your boss asks you to do something, do it with a good heart. Look what else Paul says. Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh. I love that. Paul's like, yeah, I know. I know they... These people claim to be your master, but look what he continues. Serve masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of heart as to Christ. Paul says, look, I, you do it because you know I'm your master. You don't do it because your boss, you don't do it because your authority is right or kind. You do it because they are your authority. Because I, your true authority, have asked you to. Obey with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart. Look at verse 6. Not by way of eye service. Don't just do it when they're looking. Man, when the boss is away, your work product ought to be exactly the same. What's God's expectation of you? What is Paul's expectation of you? You You're a saint. In whatever aspect of life God has placed you in, husband, wife, child, parent, slave, master, you are a saint of God. And because of that, you need to reflect him in whatever situation you find yourself. 
You find yourself under the authority of others. Man, you do your best, ask to the Lord. Not just in their looking. Not by way of eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Recognizing that God's going to handle it. Paul says, you want to know what it looks like in our culture? The best way to apply this is if you're an employee. You want to know what it looks like to reflect Christ, to be a saint in a kooky culture like California. Man, business owners should be flocking for Christians. Business owners should be flocking for Christians. Back in the day, I remember when I was in admissions at Biola, the Biola Business Center, the Biola uh, Business School. Businesses were coming to Biola wanting business graduates from Biola because although culture was saying character doesn't count, when it's your millions of dollars on the line, guess what? Character counts. Man, employees, you want to know what it looks like to reflect Christ in our kooky culture? Be obedient to your boss with a good attitude in confidence that God's going to defend you and work it out. But here's the interesting thing, verse 9, back in that culture when there were slaves and masters but both go to the same church, wouldn't that be odd to you? But that's what happened here. You could be busy six days of the week with this guy just pushing you and driving you. And then you show up to church and you're supposed to have meet and greet and everything's supposed to be okay. Look what Paul, verse 9. I love this. First he served the employee, obey your master, obey your authority with a good attitude. Look at verse 9. Masters do the same things to them. What do you think he's referring to? Man, those of you who are employers, everything that you expect from your employees, character, humility, with a good attitude, Paul said, back at you. Do the same things to them, love this, and give up threatening. Stop bullying your employees into submission knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Again, Christian business owners, Paul speaking, assuming that you have Christian employees, you need to do your business different because your employee is a co-heir to the kingdom of God, a child of God who deserved, the, who, who was given the sacrifice of Christ in the same way you are I love this little subtle jab at the end. He says, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, there's no partiality with him. When God looks at employee and employer, you're the same. Both of you have been given what you have by him. Both of you have been allowed to be in the position by him where you are. The Apostle Paul is writing, I've spent three chapters telling you who you are in Christ. You're a saint, not because you deserved it, not because you purchased it, but because God gave it to you. So please, I'm begging you, live differently. With gentleness, humility, not about your rights, not about your desires, not about your styles, but focusing on the unity of Christ and the kingdom of God. Paul says, please, I'm begging you. 
And it ought to influence how you do church. And it ought to influence how you do marriage. It ought to influence how you do your parenting and your family. And it ought to influence how you do your work. So there's my question to you. What part of your life do you need to revitalize? What part of your life do you need to live differently? The Apostle Paul has spent now five plus chapters trying to inspire you and lift you up to recognize who God has made you to be. So let's live different. Let's have a church that gets beyond the kookiness of culture. And let's start being a reflection of the glory of God. Let's have a marriage that gets beyond who's in charge. Let's have a marriage that reflects the kingdom of God. Where we see members of the Godhead in their roles, you see submission, you see devotion. And let's have our families be different. Kids, give your parents a break. Parents, give your kids a break. Let's do our families differently. And fourth, do your work differently. Have an attitude to obey if you're an employee or have an attitude to serve and reflect Christ if you're the authority. One area this week that you can commit to revitalizing and how you walk as a saint in this culture. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, again, we come before you, God, grateful. God, we're grateful for your word because it gives us direction and truth for our lives. God, some of your truth makes us uncomfortable. Some of your truth causes us to take steps that are painful or frightening. God, some of your truth is freeing, encouraging, and empowering. God, I suspect all of those are present in your letter to the Ephesians. So God, I pray first, continue to shape our lives and form us into the saints that you have called us to be. Strip us of our pride, of our greed, of our predisposition to anger and lust and division. God, fill us with your spirit that we might be an instrument of unity as a church, an instrument of healing and reconciling and redeeming that which is broken by sin. God, you have empowered us to be light in a dark world. God, may you continue to grow us and empower us to be who you've called us and empowered us to be. God, may that make our church different. God, as the Chino Valley see our gathering, as they learn about what we do in your name, God, may they see you even more and more present in what we do. God, may you protect us from doing something stupid as a church that would jeopardize your reputation in your ministry. God, for marriages, God, for those 
There are some marriages that are struggling. They're trying to hang on. God, may you bring restoration and healing. May you bring repentance where it's needed. May you bring forgiveness, humility, confidence. God, may you build our marriages, strengthen them. God, for those who are preparing to be married, God, open our eyes. Help us to prepare. Help us to be committed. Help us to do it right from the beginning. God, not just for our blessing, but for your glory. God, for kids who are present in here, God, I pray for your empowerment that they would obey their parents. God, may you bring conviction through your spirit. May you bring desire in their heart. And God, for parents with all the pressures and all the fears and all the worries, God, may you empower us to do it differently than everyone else. Give us compassion and gentleness and patience. God, give us faith that you are still at work in their souls as we're walking with them and leading them and guiding them towards you. God, for those of us who work for another, God, may you give us humility, faith, and patience as we seek to reflect you in the most meaning, meaningful roles that we may have. And God, for those of us who are authorities, who are business owners, who are managers, who are authorities in the workplace, God, may you equip us and empower us. God, give us eyes to see not just the job of a person, but the heart and soul of a person. God, that we might work hard to serve them and lead them and guide them and protect them knowing that they are people that you love as well. God, convict us, lead us, guide us in one area that we can revitalize for your glory in anticipation, expectation of what you are still yet to do in our midst and through our lives together. We pray everything in Jesus' name.